when you're a kid, you just suck at everything. Everyone's like just there to hear you and support you no matter how bad you sing or like no matter how much your drawing is just a bunch of scribbles on a piece of paper and doesn't look like anything. And I think as adults, we get used to being good at stuff and then we don't want to do things we don't know how to do in front of other people. Like, oh, why don't you try something that like you don't necessarily know how it's going to go or like try something out. Like a couple weeks ago, I made something out of like in a pottery class and I like have never done any sort of pottery. And so that was cool. And I live for moments like this. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Vicarious podcast that dives into the creative minds of me, Alex Scott, and me, Karen White, and anyone else who will talk to us. And today that person is Madeline Reed. Though she may have spent her whole life in the city, Madeline's heart is in the rural tales of folk and country music. Pulling inspiration from artists like I'm With Her, Joni Mitchell, and First Aid Kit, Madeline blends classic folk instrumentation with lyrics about growing up in Vancouver to create a unique alt-country sound. Her debut album, Concrete Country, does just this, telling thought-provoking tales of city life accompanied by fiddle, pedal steel, and three-part harmony. Welcome, Maddie. Hi. Hi, Maddie. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. We're so excited. Yeah. Hot off of, oh, wait, I was just going to say hot off of a fresh brunch date. Was that yesterday? <laughs> no, it was this morning. Uh, it was this morning. Nice. Yes, I'm remembering that right. <laughs> You should see the glow that Maddie has. (laughs) A a sourdough glow. Oh, yes. (laughs) Okay, Maddie, before before we get into this, I realized that so in your bio, you go with you go by Madeline. Oh, yeah. Are you cool with us? That's a good question. Maddie. I guess Maddie's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can also from here on out. It it feels funny to say. I mean, I guess maybe it should be Madeline. Okay. I don't know. I've never come across this issue before. <laughs> you go by Maddie, like I, because I know you somewhat personally, <laughs> right? But I'm like, but in a, um, like if Bruno Mars is being interviewed, do they right. call him by his first name? Oh, that's which is that's not Bruno. Good, it's not. It's like no, Peter. His well, his oh. but that's. I feel like that's very Point. different because his name is like Peter. Hernandez. You're right. It's you're right. It's really <laughs> like different. It's, it's like it's not wildly Bruno Mars different. at all. Right. Oh, right. But it's news to me. Right, because my it's like a stage name, but it's actually literally my name. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. I think it's up to you. I I just realized reading the bio, I'm like, I, I didn't even think about it. Um, <laughs> this is so funny. If you want to include this conversation in the podcast, you can. We might um, just. I guess. Professionally prof- known probably, as, as Madeline. Yeah. I feel like we probably, I'm like now thinking we moving forward, we're not even going to say your name. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just avoid it at all costs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you over I there. Think, I think use Madeline. Yeah. I think use Madeline. Okay. okay. Madeline. I'm making the arbitrary decision because I think once we go to Maddie, we can't go back, you know. You're right. That's fair. You're right. <laughs> but now you're declaring this for the world to hear. So. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hear that, everybody? My parents also really don't like the name Maddie. Oh, I think they've, really? they've, they've grown to accept it over time but like when i was in elementary school they were very adamantly like it's not maddie you're i have i have the same thing Uh so my name's alexandra right and my dad was so upset when my second grade teacher started calling me alice (laughs) and i've i will i'll sometimes introduce myself as alexandra but like exclusively to seniors (laughs) (laughs) i think that's like from from like growing up going to church i like i've I've never introduced myself to like anyone within 20 years of my age as 
Alexandra. Alexandra. That's yeah. So and funny. I used to think when I was a little kid that I'd like grow into the name mm-hmm. that like when I was an adult, I'd be Alexandra. Right. But yeah, just turned no. 34. Still have never, <laughs> never <laughs> maybe, used it really. Maybe 35. Maybe 35. Maybe 35 is the right. year. Yeah. It just sounds it. so like not, it sounds so elegant. And <laughs> like that's <laughs> it's not, not me. Not really the vibe. <laughs> Do you feel that way with Madeline? Like, I feel like I am Madeline. Like Maddie's oh, nice. like not, I, but I, I used to, I think it shifted also when I went to university. I like went to university in Squamish away from home and everybody started, call, like everybody was calling me Maddie mm. and that, and then I was away from my parents who are like the primary people who call me Madeline are like mm-hmm. my family. And so I realized, so I think it shifted my association with Maddie. Like for a long time I was like, Oh, in my head, in my, like my, my true being is Madeline and Maddie's just like this other thing. But now I feel like I'm a Maddie as well. Mm. Okay. But I do feel, yeah, it's interesting. I do feel like Madeline, but I introduce myself as Maddie a lot of the time now, whereas for a while I didn't. I also did this experiment once when I started, I started a one-year program at BCIT. And at the same time, I started seeing a physiotherapist and in, and I didn't know anyone prior to doing either of these activities in these spaces and both to my physiotherapist and to all of my classmates and all of my instructors at BCIT, I introduced myself as Madeline. Yeah. Just kind of, I was like, yeah, I'll try it on. And then (laughs) the same week, like three weeks into seeing my physiotherapist weekly and going to these weekly classes, the same week in both places, people started calling me Maddie unprovoked. And I was like, okay, there's like, there's some like incubation period where people then feel close enough to me that they can nickname me (laughs) of their own accord i I want to now i want to do that experiment it's kind of interesting interesting. yeah it's interesting yeah yeah i wonder no like i don't think i give people nicknames unless like i was introduced to you as maddie i like didn't even really realize until talking to you for this podcast that you like go by (laughs) until just yeah moments ago until moments ago moments ago reading out your bio oh (laughs) right I guess that's her name then (laughs) but yeah I don't know like it feels so personal like a nickname Mm -hmm. and if someone just kind of I guess one time when I was younger my friend's little sister I think her name is Olivia and we were all like young kids and her family called her Lou and I just started calling her Lou. And one day she was like, can you not do that? That's just for my family. And I was <laughs> like, oh, geez. Okay. Sorry. And then Burn. ever since then I've been like, okay, you just call people what they tell you their name yeah. is. And like, don't <laughs> no stray. Questions asked. Don't stray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mostly I was surprised because sometimes people will like call me Maddie and then say, oh, is that Okay if they haven't been in a context where other people are calling me Maddie. So it was surprising to me in the, both these contexts that people just nonchalantly without checking in just were like yeah. made the switch. That, that mm-hmm. was what surprised. It didn't bother me, but I was, I just noted that I was like, Oh, interesting. I've been like non-consensually nicknamed. <laughs> yeah. Like writes in notes. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> it is also of the last 20 some years like that. I've known people. It seems like, it's been quite a popular name mm-hmm. in, in, you know, various spellings and totally. stuff. And so I think probably people are kind of take it for granted that mm. I think about the Madelines that I know and they all go by Maddie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Well, I'm glad we got this <laughs> sorted right away. Right, 
No, we have to keep it going on the forward. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we just had a very in-depth discussion. Yeah. Screw about creativity. Names. We're just talking about names. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, mean, there is a lot of creativity. How you present? Totally, right? totally, like, totally. That's, yeah. that's totally well, that's the thing, right? Like Maddie does feel quite different than Madeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, I'm, uh, just, of course, kind of a different like, energy, different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And same thing, like Alex feels completely different than Alexandra. Mm-hmm. I think there's a certain like informalness to Maddie for me totally. also. Like and like friendly like friendliness mm-hmm. because it's like a nickname, right? So I feel yeah. like there's also this spectrum of like people who don't know me and people who know me very intimately, like my family, call me Madeline. And then everybody in between calls me Maddie. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty similar to me, except for it's like only my family right. <laughs> only my my oldest sister and my dad i guess call me alexandra and then and my mom sometimes that too you introduce yourself <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyone who knew me from saskatchewan <laughs> happened to go to that church <laughs> but yeah yeah it's so funny. funny names do you think about what your life would be like having a different name like if you'd be oh, a different sure person do. oh yeah <laughs> Alex, you, that look you gave me as <laughs> you realized what you're asking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think things are uh, yeah, different. I think it a lot. <laughs> it's come up. It's come up for me. Uh, no, it's okay. I I lean into it. It's fine. I'm actually. Named. I don't think you lean into it. Well, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not like acting. I'm not like. Oh yeah. Let me just, just free be, range. Yeah, I mean. be the most Karen Karen I can be. No, I try to be as like removed from that as possible but yeah, like yeah. you know it's yeah. fine to to joke about it yeah. but I'm actually like named after someone like my mom's best friend Karen so like I you know Aww. it's a sweet it's a sweet thing so I'm I'm happy if I need to go through the uh <laughs> you know this the cultural of... <laughs> I don't know what, what, what do you call it? call it I don't know it's like cultural development i don't know like a meme yeah <laughs> it is like, a meme. like it being is, part yeah. of like a meme culture yeah you know if i have to be that person then mm. that's okay with me yeah. that's all right you can subvert the karen meme mm-hmm. with your own thing yeah. Yeah. every day with your own i'm like essence. fighting for fighting for that justice for karen <laughs> Karen's justice for Karen not all Karen's not all Karen's no, hashtag not all Karen's yeah, <laughs> yeah. yes <laughs> oh my gosh okay all right, all right. let's well, get this back on so Madeline what is one Hi. creative thing you did this week oh yes okay so I was I just kind of started writing a song yesterday which is really exciting because it's definitely been a slow process returning to songwriting post album release Mm, or actually it's been faster post album release but there was this like period of time that was quite basically I wrote my last song for my record and then did not have capacity to write for a year essentially Um, like I started writing a, a song in June of this year and I'd written my last song for the record like at the very beginning of July of, of 2022 yeah so wow. it was basically a year um and so it feels really even though maybe it might sound like oh well of course she wrote a song she's a musician but it like feels like novel still that I'm like oh I had like yeah. 
time and space to even just like write a couple lines of maybe what could become a chorus of something. Oh, um, so that was wow. nice. That, that is very really exciting. Nice. Yeah. How was that year for you? Not like previous to releasing the album and mm-hmm. having that break, were you a pretty prolific writer? Like, was that something that was part of your daily, monthly, weekly practice of like being a person or? Yeah, it, it definitely became so like, I got this funding to make this album and then suddenly I was like, okay, I'm like contractually obliged by the government to write music right now. So, which I was like, that's pretty cool. So then I was trying to generate a lot of stuff. I didn't write like many, many songs, but I, I sort of had many song seeds that were coming up all the time and I was Mm -hmm. making time for that very intentionally. Mm -hmm. And then just like, as soon as I had the record recorded, I was like, okay, now all music time is going towards like trying to release this thing. Mm -hmm. And then, so that is what took over my creative capacity was just like, music admin essentially yeah that's yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> that can be a not only like a time suck but can sometimes be a bit of a a joy suck as yeah. well yeah um, it's a lot of mental lot energy of and like it's so close to that creative process like it's part yeah. of the process not maybe not the creative <laughs> process but mm-hmm. the you know the music making process yeah. right mm-hmm. and and making, yeah, doing all the work that you need to do to try to make it as successful as possible, mm-hmm. like whatever that means, you know, mm-hmm. just knowing that you put your all into it uh, yeah. on all fronts. Totally. Yeah, it's pretty all-encompassing, I imagine. It is. Mm. It is. Which is why as soon as I released it, I was like, suddenly I can think about other songs and think about other ideas that I want to communicate in song that yeah yeah, that was really nice so what was that process for you like writing now outside of making an album Mm -hmm. like writing for yourself again what was that like for you it's I think we're only just scratching the surface of it still it's interesting because this album that I just released Concrete Country is a concept album about like Vancouver and sort of characterizing this place that I've known my whole life because I grew up here and it's not what I've come to come to realize at some point is that it's not exactly it's not really emotionally vulnerable as a record I would Mm. say like it's personal stories but I'm not like sharing any like deep I don't know emotional turmoil or anything I'm more like talking about this place and characters but nothing is super which is like I mean maybe it's a good thing nothing's super like heart-wrenching or like devastating or personal per se in the way that maybe we think about like love songs or songs about like really struggling with some sort of like ache or challenge Mm -hmm. in life and while I was releasing this or in the process of recording and releasing this album I had two really significant relationships like romantic relationships end and I also had two friendships end in both all within a year and a half so that is part of what made like there's only two love songs on my album and one of them I didn't even write it was like written by someone else and I took it and sort of workshopped it and which one was that um plain sight oh okay yeah I was really taken by that one oh cool yeah Yeah, that was written um primarily by Rahel Johannes okay who plays with Maddie Elkins or, oh, and, and yeah. know, or they know each other from high school and stuff. Oh, okay. So, cool. um, and, and Will Turnoff also. They all, oh. they all went to high school together and know each other. Um, Will, as well. producer of this podcast. Of this podcast, yeah. yeah. So Rahel, yeah, Rahel wrote the song and my sister and I just made some like minor adjustments to it. But yeah, so I suddenly was having all these really deeply personal experiences that I, and I've never really been much of a songwriter when it comes to like love and relationships, but I was suddenly like, oh, I feel like I need to process these things. And I basically... I mean, I've obviously emotionally processed a lot in the last year, but not really creatively because I've kind of been waiting for the moment when I will have the 
space to like really dig into those feelings that kind of bubble up every so often. I'm like, oh, I still feel that. And I like want to communicate that artistically, but haven't had time. So I've been sitting on a lot of like personal grief and like Mm. interesting like relationship dynamics that are like waiting to come out. And I think it's getting there. Like even the song I was sort of starting to write this week, I was like, oh, this is like about that one of those things. But I I know that going back into those feelings is going to be really hard. So it's hard to do it kind of like on a whim. I feel like it's going to have to be really intentional. Mm. But I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm scared of it, but I'm like preparing. Right. So that's how that's kind of different. I'm preparing to like dig into those things with this new, I guess, this, this new content that I'm going to be writing about, I think, in the next little while. Well, that's exciting to, yeah. to have a deeper well to pull from, you know, something mm. like kind of diving into the depths that maybe you didn't necessarily mm-hmm. for this first project. And yeah. yeah, that's really exciting. Obviously, isn't always, it can be like a little daunting. Mm-hmm. I mean, quite daunting when you're when you're thinking about like diving into feelings that are uncomfortable or sad or devastating especially if but, you've been in, intentionally waiting to really like I know get there <laughs> you kind but, of but at least when you have been waiting you've been doing your own personal processing mm-hmm. you are able to have that little bit of distance from it and be able to kind of see it from yeah like, harness that artistic drive rather than just being like so stuck in the feelings of of whatever it is like heartbreak or turmoil yeah totally that's that's true yeah it's interesting I do think the songs if I'd had the capacity to write while these things were happening, the songs would probably be really different because there would be a lot more like kind of, and I mean, I think I'll be able to, hopefully I'll be able to tap into that again, but like raw yeah. feeling mm-hmm. of like, just like kind of like blind anger or like mm. just like sadness. And now it'll be, I think more, probably a more, more, a more gray than like black and white yeah. type yeah. of reflection on it, which is, I think, just, I mean, it's not good or bad. I think it's just different. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe less painful. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Yeah. It hopefully can. I feel like the biggest danger with that is if you are writing from that place and then you have to keep performing those or like if you create yeah. them, right, and they turn into something bigger than just like your feelings in that moment, then it's mm-hmm. like having to kind of tap back into that well every time you revisit the song, mm-hmm. which, yeah, once you have a bit of distance and you can look at things in a more nuanced way and and with a little bit of you're a little bit removed, mm-hmm. probably a good thing for you long term, at least like, yeah. at least, you know, mental health wise, maybe artistically, who's to say? But yeah, that's that's really cool. I'm excited. We're going to get into your songwriting a lot. But um, let's just, Alex, give us a yeah. creative thing. <laughs> yeah, so mine's music related as well. Friend of the pod, Alana Yee, <laughs> season one, episode seven, if you haven't heard it. Uh, Alana is a dancer and she invited me to collaborate with her for their next sample show. Also with Kriya, Kriya couldn't make it to the rehearsal, but my creative thing is that I am collaborating with Alana and another dancer, Kaylee, for a performance, and I'm playing synth, and we are just doing a fully improvised piece. Well, we will be doing fully improvised piece. So with the rehearsal, we were just kind of getting to know each other, and then I improved on the synth and was just using a bunch of wild sounds, and we were doing like kind of 12... 
13 minute pieces, I guess we'll call them just collaboration improvising. And they were improvising dance together. And, and I was just playing around and I was playing my micro Korg. And most of my playing on that synth has been either my own writing or playing in bands, like various groups that I've been in. And a lot of the time I'm, I'm trying to kind of play it sort of in like a relatively conventional way. Like I'm looking for very functional sounds. Mm -hmm. Whereas with this project or collaboration, I was really able to dig into these like kind of weird alien and like dark sounds that I haven't really played with before. And it was just me. And at first I was like quite nervous about being the only one providing that like auditory information and like really the foundation of what they were working from but it was so much fun and I I I loved it yeah so I'm really looking forward to our next rehearsal which is in about a week and then the actual performance will is in like a week or two weeks now yeah so uh, I'm really looking forward to it and Korea is going to join in and they're going to play upright bass so I think that will be a really nice complement of like really electronic and then more organic percussive sounds yeah whatever they come up with and and also just thinking about dance and I've it's it's made me think about dance and movement a little bit more I'm not super like expressive in that way I'm not I'm not a dancer but I'll come back to that in my creative recommendation oh okay gotta listen to the end now yeah (laughs) stay tuned um Karen what's one creative thing you did this week My creative thing, I was inspired by our conversation with Kaya last week. We had Kaya on the pod, if you know her, and we we talked about sewing and fashion and and your, was it your creative thing last week was to go through and like do your seasonal Mm -hmm. change. So I, I followed, I followed your lead and I did my seasonal clothing change, but I was doing it with this new kind of like lens on my clothes, I watched, I started rewatching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, which fun. It's one of my favorite shows. So, <laughs> and just the 90s of it all is like really mm-hmm. getting me. So just being able to like go through your clothes and kind of see them, I was like, how can I kind of <laughs> infuse my wardrobe with this like 90s sensibility that I'm, that I'm longing for and just playing, I literally just like played dress up with my clothes and, yeah, it was it was really fun to just like take old things and see like new ways to like put them together. Sometimes like having, you know, you kind of fall into your old patterns of like what which tops go with which bottoms and you know, just kind of have your formulas and then to have a reason or like an idea behind like how to maybe change it up a bit mm-hmm. was was really fun. So that's my creative thing. It was pretty, it was nice. nice. Yeah, it was, it was a good time. Would yeah. recommend. Sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Madeline, what role does creativity play in your life right now? I feel like a pretty big one. I feel like I'm really trying to like make my life whimsical all the time. Go into that a bit. What, is that, what does that so mean fun. for you? <laughs> yeah, right? That's the I idea. I love that I think idea. I, I felt it especially, I have a day job that I work three days a week and we had an office in the financial district of downtown until like June. And I felt very weird working there because it didn't really, I don't really like feel like that area I don't see myself represented in that area it's very like 
business men in suits oriented. Right. And I mean, most of the people in my workplace didn't really like it either. We were all sort of like, what are we doing here? Which is why we don't work <laughs> there anymore. <laughs> but I remember feeling like I really wanted to be like an I didn't want to get sucked into that culture. Like I really wanted to keep wearing like my daisy printed pants and like be like feel artistic even in that space. And so I feel like I'm I try often to sort of think about okay, how can I like add color to like my outfit or like be expressive like always being trying to be kind of expressive and so that's like partly like how I like dress and like approach the day even just yeah even as like a mentality of like how can I try to like add like sparkle or like fun into into the day a little bit and then I also just really care about going to if I'm not performing like going to see live music and often I'll go it hasn't been this way so much in the last couple weeks I guess I was away well no I was away and I did this too but like going to see live music even as often as like once a week that feels really important to me um I often go to like the Heatley Bluegrass Tuesdays um which are great cool anyone's looking to do something fun on a Tuesday recommend and yeah I feel like those are that's like in the just kind of daily practice and then I do want to be writing more but that's been like yeah slowly cultivating more time to do that but I feel like yeah on a daily basis even if I'm not playing music or something I'm like trying to be like how do I like add some pizzazz to life today (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome I love that that's like front of mind for you it's so easy for it to not be front of mind and to go through the motions Mm -hmm. and just be like maybe another day will be you know we'll have the pizzazz (laughs) right like Well, and it's interesting just even the word whimsical and how it relates to creativity because like you said, Karen, there is that inherent fun. Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes as quote unquote creatives, we can take ourselves so seriously. (laughs) And so it is nice to approach it as like a way of making your life, a way of enriching your life Mm -hmm. rather than just like, okay, here's what I have to do to be a creative person rather, you know, rather like, how can I make this day special for myself? Mm -hmm. You know, there's another concept of like making your life romantic, but not in the, like not in the romantic love sense, but in terms of like, taking in beauty, like kind of treating yourself to the things that you might treat a partner to, whether that's Mm -hmm. like a a beautiful walk, seeing a sunset, going to an art gallery. Yeah. So it kind of seems like it's sort of around the same, kind of in the same vein, but yours also feels a little bit more, like you said, like colorful and Mm -hmm. thinking about bringing a little bit more sparkle. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. I think uh, something that, as you were talking about that, definitely the creating romance in in life I think that really resonates with me and two like I think play is a big part of that and even if it's like yeah playing with like having like a really colorful pair of earrings on or like choosing to just like wiggle a little while I'm at my standing desk like to like try to make things fun to like spark because I think so much of creativity is like trying to have for me it's like cultivating new experiences that might make me see things in a different way or think about things in a new way especially I find like if I want to if I, if this all culminates in me wanting to like produce a creative work of some kind like that aspect of like playing and creating romantic experiences that like allow me to just kind of relax and like think about things or express myself like that is part of the work in then producing something later mm-hmm 
yeah, a really important part of the work, mm-hmm. the genesis of the work. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. I love that. Has that always been like a priority for you? Do you remember a time, like a time before that? Do you remember if there was kind of an active, you know, like intentional, like I'm going to start doing this in my life? I think it's always been that way. I think sometimes I, I, I don't know that I've ever actually articulated that until right now mm. in words, but I think it's something that does inform how I live my life. I think I lose it sometimes. Like if I get really stressed and busy, like that's kind of the first thing to go maybe because it's like, oh, I don't have time for that. I need to do this, that, and the other thing. Or like, I can't take a walk even for 10 minutes because I need to, I just don't, there's no time in the day for that or something. So also trying, I think actually releasing this album for me what kind of became that way where it became so stressful and so all-consuming and then once I released it I was like okay I need to take a step back and think about how to have a sustainable creative practice and obviously there will be ebbs and flows and there's different like phases of a creative project and that was like the work phase that's not (laughs) as glamorous and not as like creative in a I don't know more fun sense but yeah I think I really since July have been trying to regroup from my burnout of releasing the album and be like, okay, how do I like structure my life in a way that does prioritize these types of sort of creative daily experiences? And I think it's more of a reflection of, yeah, when I've been the happiest in my life, it's been when this has been happening. So then translating that into, okay, how do I, as an adult, you know, as a kid, I think it's a lot easier to because your life is structured to have play in it all the time Mm -hmm. and to like like people are constantly actively encouraging you to have creative moments and like piece things together and make new things and so I was it's kind of like okay how do I draw from those great experiences and structure it into my adulthood that I feel like often adulthood is constructed in such a way that we are not like encouraged to prioritize those things as much Mm. or not necessarily not encouraged but it's just like there's other things that are more important like the priorities shift or something yeah it's definitely not seen as a priority in any mm-hmm. it's definitely seen as a add-on you know mm-hmm. you kind of like these are the things you have to do in life and then if if you can find the time or yeah. the energy then that'd be great mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. yes yeah, it's, it's often not seen as important to your life and maybe well-being mm-hmm and just uh, piggybacking off of you mentioning being a kid and like being encouraged, I read a little thing on, it was like a, an interview that popped up on Apple Music. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a snippet about being three years old and writing a song and like making your parents listen to it. And you're just strumming the guitar <laughs> yeah, yeah. strings and writing a song about or singing a song that you'd written about dinosaurs. And I was like, <laughs> We totally would have been friends because I was also a precocious <laughs> child writing songs from a young age and also loved dinosaurs. Yes. <laughs> so I feel like kind of like reflecting back to you, you saying like, I'm not sure if I've articulated it, the whimsy, like the pursuit mm. of whimsy until just now. But it does seem like that was an, an inherent thing or at least like, you know, that tiny little snippet that I learned about you that does sound very like whimsical and playful and, you know, yeah. having that creative drive f- mm-hmm. from from a young age does that does that ring true to you like in terms of being that like little kid with that who was just like barely out of toddler stage <laughs> and like wanting to make things write, write songs express yourself yeah I think so I mean my I kind of come from a family of artists like my dad is a musician so that's why there was a guitar in the house to begin with mm-hmm. um and lots of exposure just through like I don't know, kitchen parties and like, Mm. 
my mom would just bring me to the bar as a newborn when my dad was playing and I'd just get passed around and would would be hanging out in the restaurant with everyone. So definitely music exposure, but also all of my parents' siblings are creative in some way. One of my aunts is like a pattern maker. I have an uncle that like makes leather bound books and an aunt that makes jewelry. And my dad's dad was like a, I don't even know how, he was like a nude mover. (laughs) He was like, (laughs) that's what it says on his merchandise that I have in my house. But he, um, he was like an art model. And if anyone is listening to this and went to Emily Carr from like 1970 to like 2009 they might have drawings of him like my oh, former boss i thought you meant like he was a mover like he moved people oh, but no, in no, the, no no in the like, nude? That's, moved his, no he like moved he his moves body. his own body he's got like it, got it. that's he, a very yeah. different business <laughs> it's very 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 like true totally weird, fine art fine yes. art yeah, yeah. That's so, also a long time. He did that for 39 years. Am I yeah, right? he was, yeah, he was in great shape. He, was, yeah, yeah, he rode his bike everywhere. I don't know if my mom would like self-identify as artistic, but she definitely like she loves quilting. When I was a kid, she always like the or the things that she would buy me weren't like toys. They were like it was like watercolors and watercolor paper. And I went to a fine arts elementary school as well. So it was just like always a part, a big part of my life. Oh, this is OK. This is kind of going off but may I yeah. oh, <laughs> absolutely. um so yes to answer your question it was I think it was heavily encouraged by like every adult in my in my life to like do creative things of all kinds and I was in dance and like theater and different things shifting a little bit I think going back to like what it's like to be an adult and how play isn't encouraged in the same way I think there's also when you're a kid you just suck at everything You know, you just like, and like everyone's like just there to hear you and support you no matter how bad you sing or like no matter how much your drawing is just a bunch of scribbles on a piece of paper and doesn't look like anything. And I think as adults, we get used to being good at stuff and then we don't want to do things we don't know how to do. And we don't want to like do things we don't know how to do in front of other people particularly. And so I think yeah, that's just something that I feel like I've been trying to reintroduce as well is like, oh, why don't you try something that like you don't necessarily know how it's going to go or like yeah. just do something that you might suck at because it just will like push you in a new direction or like yeah, try something out. Like a couple weeks ago, I made something out of like in a pottery class and I like have never done any sort of pottery. And so I, that was cool. <laughs> not not to bring this back to me again, but th- it is funny because uh, this podcast inspired me to take a ceramics class. Hey, and cool. I was so bad. Like, <laughs> and it was like, that was something after like I, I think it was maybe the second or third class. In the class, I was thinking like it's so interesting to be bad at something mm-hmm. again because just to your point, like I don't often pursue things that I I don't have any experience in Mm -hmm. you know I I like to kind of have some guarantee of of success (laughs) or you (laughs) know to feel like you're like you know what you're getting into as well right like we oftentimes just like to stick with what we know and Mm -hmm. as a kid you yeah you don't know anything so you're just trying to figure out what you like and then you kind of reach a point where you feel like you should know what you like and mm-hmm. what you're into and well and I guess too like when you're a kid if you've got parents who have bought you watercolors mm-hmm. or they've put you in a class like there's no stakes for you mm-hmm. the stakes <laughs> for your experience and and having fun mm-hmm. whereas as an adult it's like okay I've paid four hundred dollars for this class <laughs> right. for, and I've like come out right. with 
I didn't come out with nothing, but, but say that was the case, then, you know, the stakes are so much higher mm-hmm. when you're having to kind of provide yourself the opportunities, mm-hmm. but, but they don't always have to be that high, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, you can. Well, maybe, um, yeah, I guess that's exactly the point is that they don't have to be that high, you know, no. just doing the course is beneficial, right? Yeah, exactly. Not, not having to have a, a product or something to show for it. Mm-hmm. It's still like giving you an experience to expand your mind and mm-hmm. to, you know, try something new, right? It's not like a wasted effort, even if, even if you hate it, <laughs> you know, even if you're like, it, I will never do this again. Yeah. Sorry, I kind of derailed you because I was like, oh, I did that too. No, but no. yeah, go, go, go. let me bring you back to no, so the pottery uh, you made. Uh, did you make a bad pottery? I actually, <laughs> you know, it went, piece. it went all right. I was, <laughs> it was one of those things. Well, I was with my friend also named Maddie. Um, <laughs> She lives in Dawson and I was in Dawson visiting her a couple weeks ago and they have Tuesday pottery. And I made, I actually made the cowboy boot that's on my album cover. Cool. And I was like ready to smash it. I was like, this was fun, but this didn't work out. And Maddie was like, who has been doing a lot of pottery and has gotten kind of good at it and knows how things work was like, no, 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 no. Don't smash it. Let me just. And then I was like, well, I kind of wanted it to be a vase, but like that seems suddenly so complicated and she just suddenly came up with this like much simpler way for me to get the product I wanted but just in a really different way that I didn't think of and just like added a small it's basically just like a I guess like a facade of the boot and then she just added a little thing on the back so that you can put like a dried flower in it or whatever and I was like oh that's so straightforward and (laughs) now I suddenly feel like I made a really cool thing (laughs) but I was it's fun and it's funny too I think it's helpful it's helpful to do those types of things with other people because they can like offer their yeah. own knowledge too, right? Again, um, thinking about like the stakes or the expectations yeah. that you set for yourself. Yeah. And then when your expectations aren't met, we, we can be so hard on ourselves and yeah. just so ready to scrap it rather than keeping that maybe more whimsical mm-hmm. perspective of like mm-hmm. seeing the fun or the possibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something my friend, Hannah Yarrington, who's a, she's like a poet and writer, based in Bellingham and we know each other because we went to university together. She said something to me that I think about all the time and I'm so glad she said it to me because I think everyone should think about this because it's so helpful. She said, I think she learned it from an instructor in school or from a podcast. I can't quite remember, but this person was talking and they were saying, okay, you have, there's kind of three states of creativity and or like creating a work or three mindsets you can have. There's like the creator, the person who's like producing the thing. You're like in this creative mode where you're like, everything is awesome. I'm just like making this and it's going so well. And you're just like in the flow of creation. And then there's the critic who can like look at it and be like, this is all bad. Everything about it is bad. And then there is the editor. And she was like, you basically never want to be the critic. You just want to be the editor. You just want to approach your piece and be like, okay, I see this content. And how can we like, adjust it to make it better or how can we improve it what what, what's great here and what needs to be adjusted and I think that has helped me so much because it's so easy to jump to the critic and just be like oh I just made this thing and it felt so good when I was making it and now I just think it sucks as opposed to like coming to it and being like wow I made this thing and it's like not perfect but it's pretty cool and like how can I if I don't love it 100% what can I what changes can I make to shift it as opposed to being like trash all that work you just did right (laughs) just a little note here um not to say that this is exactly where she got it from but that exact concept is laid out in the 
War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Oh, great. I don't know if he was the generator of that, of those three, but yeah, Mm -hmm. like creator, critic, and editor. And that's something that I talk to my students a lot about, of just like that, you can't create when you're in the critical mindset. You you have to put, you have to learn how to put that aside or Mm -hmm. put that you know, acknowledge the voice and, and put it in the back seat, as it were, rather than in the passenger seat or in the driver's seat yeah. and just acknowledge it, but then assure it that it will have time to speak at a, at a later point, yeah. potentially. But yeah. but yeah, there's no real ability to get into that flow state or that mm-hmm. generative state if mm-hmm. we are actively critiquing ourselves. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. That's so funny. That book, My Downstairs Neighbor, gave me the war of art recently and he was like you haven't read it here take my copy read it and it's just been sitting on the side of my bed <laughs> well now you know what you're getting into this is good i was saying that and i was like what a terrible academic of me to not know where i'm citing what source i'm citing <laughs> i do that literally all okay. the time and <laughs> including like using words that i don't know <laughs> yeah. sorry if you do it with enough confidence then yeah then everyone's fine. like oh yeah that thing sure. um, yeah call back to episode one and the prostrate versus prostate <laughs> <laughs> Dilemma. That was a good one. Oh, that was a great. particularly good slip. <laughs> yeah. Just when you were talking about songwriting and like the hard things that mm-hmm. you went through in the last year and a half, I was wondering if you would be open to talking about friend friendship breakups. Yeah. Because that's not really, I mean, it's becoming a lot more spoken about kind of mm-hmm. in the mainstream, but it's not something that culturally we like necessarily have much context for. Mm-hmm. Would that be something you'd be open to talking about? Even just the concept of friendship breakups mm-hmm. and how that affects us at, as people because we're so inundated with romantic relationships and yeah. romantic breakups. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, friendships are so much more nebulous in mm-hmm. a sense yes. in that there aren't like negotiated terms of friendship the way that there is kind of in a relationship so when they do fall apart there is kind of this strange experience of of it feels so personal Mm -hmm. (laughs) like Mm -hmm. it can I don't know I don't know what your experience has been but I'm curious uh, if we can just explore that a little bit Mm -hmm. I mean I think what you just said about friendships being like nebulous is such a great I mean obviously people can have romantic sexual relationships that are like so diverse and there is no one way to have that kind of those kinds of relationships but there are more like societal expectations and standards for like what that looks like like there's a definition of like what that type of relationship is and I feel like friendship is so much broader than that right and so it can be really hard like I've had lots of friends kind of phase in and out of my life and friendships that that had an end but it wasn't like like my best friend from high school, we like our friendship, we're not really friends anymore and nothing really happened. We just kind of drifted apart. And that's kind of what's expected with friendships yeah. a lot of the time. It's like you're close until you're not. And yeah, you maybe have like good will towards that person, maybe not, but it's not necessarily like this breakup conversation or event often mm-hmm. associated with right. friendships. Right. And I think in the friendship breakups that I experienced in the last year both of them had like a boundary that was crossed that I was like this is this is it like I have to end this right as opposed to in one case I was sort of like oh I don't there had been some challenges in this in this friendship but I was like able to I was like okay I can work through them or we can negotiate but then there was like a critical moment where I was like ah okay actually I think this for my own sake can't continue and I think that what those those were 
those were helpful moments to me because they were like, it gave me something to hold on to, to be like, this is why I can't continue this. And I think that's why friendship breakups can be hard to figure out or like know if you should do something as formal as that, you know, and have a conversation with a friend where you're like, I don't think this is working anymore because oftentimes there isn't like one culminating event that is then like, this is the deal breaker. Right. You know, oftentimes it's like, oh, like sometimes we get on great and, but there's these challenges I have, but it's not really enough for me to be like, I'm going to cut you out of my life. You know, it's like usually mm-hmm. not that dramatic. And that's, I think why it can be hard and often why friendships more ebb and flow. Cause you just like, you make a ton of plans together and then things get a little funky or whatever. And you just sort of take breaks or like, then you just don't see each other anymore. And it's just naturally drifted apart. So in these contexts, it was like there were things that I was like, ah, I can take this tangible thing that happened and be like, that is a deal breaker for me in a friendship. Mm -hmm. And that takes an incredible amount of courage to be able to voice that. You know, Mm -hmm. I think in romantic relationships, it can be easier to have those conversations because there is sort of this, or I should say like kind of like heteronormative romantic relationships, you know, monogamous relationships. Yeah. And non-monogamous too, probably mm, I'm yeah. sure. But um, because you're sort of like setting your life up with someone in, in one respect or another, whether that's kind of like the traditional track of, mm-hmm. you know, but even potentially of non-monogamous, like if you're kind of like working someone into your life mm-hmm. actively and those boundaries and expectations are things that you're speaking about sort of on a regular basis to some extent and you're kind of you're always sort of like testing your compatibility Mm -hmm. you're kind of thinking about it whereas with friendships it's someone that you enjoy but there aren't really those expectations on them Mm -hmm. necessarily like you're just you're not necessarily building your life with that person you're sort of living your lives concurrently and you're meeting up at certain points so then to be like to have the courage to be like hey like this isn't working for me Mm -hmm. I think is seems seems and I'm losing my train of thought here (laughs) that's what's happening (laughs) I think I think there is a lot of like toxicity in friendships at some in some friendships right because we're not like you said we're not really analyzing things or questioning or communicating those things with a lot of friends you know a lot of amazing friendships out there too but there's less of a pressure to define friendships and Mm -hmm. to have clear boundaries and clear like roles in friendships right and with a romantic partner again this is more for like heteronormative monogamous definitely like a monogamous partner where you have this clear set of needs and you have this one person that's you know that's supposed to be meeting those with friendships you aren't really looking for that mm-hmm. and it's it's very easy to to keep going in a in a relationship that's not as fulfilling when you aren't being like confronted with with those decisions to mm-hmm. make and right? and we don't really have those scripts and those yeah. examples culturally of how to have those conversations so i think that's why to me it does feel very brave and like your self-worth is very intact to know those boundaries and then to be able to communicate it like that i don't think that's Mm. an easy thing i will say actually this is kind of interesting and maybe the opposite of what i've been saying but (laughs) one of the friendship breakups happened because that friend started dating my ex oh Um, wow and i do think that's actually a 
I, I actually had the opposite reaction at first where I was like, how, like, I don't just want to cut this person out of my life because of this. Like, I feel like the social expectation is that's like a deal breaker and I should not be friends with this person anymore because they've crossed that boundary of dating my ex. I was like, that is a social script to me. Right. Right. And so then initially I was like, sort of like, okay, how do I, how do I maintain this relationship with this person? Like, I don't want this to be the reason that I am no longer friends with them. And then after a couple of days of being like really upset, I was like, oh, actually for my own sake, I do. But I had to consider it. I was like, I don't just want to jump to cutting this person out because I think that I should be jealous or something. And like, I should not want to be friends with this person anymore. And then I was like, no, actually I do. I would like to not, well, I didn't want to be friends, not friends with this person anymore, but I was like, I need to. Yeah. Yeah. For your own emotional health. You had to, yeah, and I think that yeah, that shows great maturity to to question the 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 norm, especially again going off of the heterosexual <laughs> yeah, yeah. normative yeah. Really, yeah, of, yeah. Of, of yeah, like mm-hmm. no, you know you can't t- whatever that is. We're just like <laughs> no, no, no. I've heard that. I've heard For that. The listener, Alex is exactly wagging her finger. Um, but I've heard Dan Savage talk about that a lot mm. on the Savage Love cast about how that's not really a thing in gay communities because usually the pool is so much just, smaller. Yeah, yeah. So you can't necessarily just like have your exes be out of bounds because yeah. the community is, totally. it, it, there's, you know, it's a smaller pool to draw from. Totally. So I think it is important to question those heteronormative yeah. scripts, <laughs> but then to be able to recognize your own what's actually happening for you because you can't just like not feel things that you're feeling right Right. Mm -hmm. totally yeah totally yeah Yeah. so yeah no easy thing and and it will be interesting to for you to go through the process of of songwriting and creation and just dive into those those emotions that aren't necessarily that are still tied to romantic breakups like there's a lot of grief there Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of I'm sure complicated feelings and and conflict and Mm -hmm. resolution all that and self-discovery but we don't necessarily have a lot of art and songs (laughs) made of of, about that I think probably a lot more like movies and tv but I, Mm -hmm. I can't think of a ton of like songs off the top of my head that are more um in line with like disillusionment of friendships rather than mm-hmm. relationships. Well, sometimes I think it's hard to, I, I think you're right about that for sure. And I also feel like sometimes like love, some love songs could be about friends and we don't know. Yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> totally. I've, I've we re- kind of predict, right? Like, yeah. or we have that judgment of mm-hmm. like, this must be about a romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. But if I'm in friendship, yeah. relationships are sometimes or family like I've written mm-hmm. songs yeah. about like family things and like this for sure sounds like it's like a, some <laughs> a, like a romantic breakup but in mm-hmm. fact mm-hmm. not it's not, not at all. yeah but the feelings are the same so I guess that's why mm-hmm. or they're very similar so totally. I guess that's why yeah moving moving away from this yeah, from sure. this a bit but you know talking about your first album mm-hmm. you chose to write about Vancouver mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. your you know, you, you were saying that you didn't um, write very like personal songs mm. about yourself. What was the kind of thought process behind that? Or when did you decide? Was it an organic thing to be like writing these songs and realizing that they could be an album? Or was that an intentional decision? It was really, I mean, so I, before I wrote most of the songs on the album, I applied for a Canada Council grant. So I had, it was very much a concept driven project. 
And I think the reason I did this is I felt like this album was really about me like defining my artistic identity as a alt country musician from Vancouver. I grew up not really exposed to a whole lot of folk and country music until my like late teens and early 20s, especially when I went to university and just met a lot of people from the US who like loved folk and bluegrass. And okay. I was like, whoa, where did this where did this art form come from? And really felt like I was like, oh, this is I love this music. Like I love it, love it, love it. But I didn't feel that comfortable writing it because it was I was like, okay, I feel like my voice suits this genre really well. I can play guitar well enough to do this but the content and like the origins of this music is like very geographically specific to like the U.S. specifically like the rural U.S. and a lot of it is about I don't know rural places (laughs) and I was like I don't live I've like grew up in a city that when I was growing up I felt like I, I wasn't really exposed to a whole lot of folk and country so then I was like oh my gosh do I have any right to make this kind of music because it's not at all about where I'm from? And then I was kind of like, okay, what if I actually, what if I just write about what I know rather than trying to like write? Cause I, I guess I felt like I have to write about trains and large fields and <laughs> right. whatever small live growing up in a small shack in like the middle of nowhere, <laughs> Tennessee, yeah. because that's what the genre is. But then I was like, okay, no, I d- that would that would be weird if I did that. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I <laughs> adopt a whole persona. Yeah, it's like exactly. Like cosplay. Exactly. And I was like, I guess I could write. I could write stories about other people. Like you know, you don't have to write about your own personal experiences. You mm-hmm. could. I could tell a story. But I was like, I don't know even anything about. It would just was really far fetched for me to think about that. So then eventually, I was like, okay, what if instead, I take the musical elements of this genre and then write about my own experience and write about Vancouver very explicitly because I do love that sort of storytelling aspect of country and folk that also really like talks about the place and the landscape. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that would be probably really cool to represent Vancouver, this not at all rural American city in this type of music. And I was like, and probably that's an interesting enough artistic intervention that Canada Council might fund it. <laughs> right. Yes. Totally. Yeah, so there was, that, there was that element <laughs> right. too, right? Where it was like, okay, this is a cool artistic idea and I might be able to pay, get paid to do it. Right. And so it was really about me kind of staking my claim in alt country and being like, I can make this music and here's a kind of interesting offering that I have for this genre. Yeah, I would say, and I think I could have probably written more love songs in the process but was just not feeling <laughs> ready to be vulnerable in that way. well and it yeah, sounds like you had fair. a you had a very clear vision you yes. know it wasn't yeah. necessarily about love <laughs> no. you know like you you had a, a pretty a pretty I'd say like admirable intention you know mm. of, of of wanting to explore something that felt a little divergent from the norm or like mm. yeah from from the origins totally yeah and yeah Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that, you know, writing from a vulnerable personal place isn't just like writing about your personal experiences, right? Like, you you know, listening to your album, you're you're talking about Vancouver and these places, but there is so much heart in what you're saying and Mm -hmm. what you're singing about. And it's very much infused by like how you feel about it. You know, it it does kind Mm -hmm. of read like a bit of a love letter to Vancouver, right? Yeah, Yeah, totally. And um, so... 
yeah, to say like this, the subject matter needs to be a certain thing right. for it to to have to a feel personal. Feel. Yeah, yeah. To, to be personal. Office. When I was listening to it, definitely, I think because of the storytelling aspect, it did feel really personal. Mm. And I'm blanking on the name of the song right now, but I, I think you probably have elements of this in in every song. But just like kind of the history, there's one song. Is it Succession? Maybe like, it's kind of got this like guitar acoustic guitar riff that loops and and just like talking like your dad saying yeah, yeah. like what used to be there yeah, yeah. and that yeah song. like that that feels deeply personal to mm. me yeah cool yeah thank you yeah. yeah i'm glad you said love letter to vancouver because that's also yeah. mari my mm. former roommate for those listening who don't know mari <laughs> mari said that to me once she was like it's like a love letter to vancouver and i think mm. that that is that is true and kind of to my family a little bit, I think especially yeah. through succession because yeah, both my parents grew up here and my mom's parents also grew up in the lower mainland. So that song really comes from like growing up, hearing about the constant development and shift of of Vancouver, right. which has been going on for, you know, a number of generations. Um, and it's such a young city. So I feel, yeah, the, the history is really fresh mm-hmm. yeah, in, in ways totally. that it's not in in other places yeah it's it hasn't been like well established it's Mm -hmm. gone through a lot of a lot of change Mm -hmm. and yeah and and I think to where you're from is a big part of who you are like it makes Mm. sense that you're it's has to do a lot with your family right you have Mm -hmm. we all have ties to like where where we are from and Mm -hmm. it really informs a lot about us so I think it's yeah it's deeply personal to write about you know, if if you are writing from your own experience with it, mm. right? It's lovely. <laughs> so just kind of jumping back to the grant process yeah. and going into approaching that proposal with this mm-hmm. pretty clear intention in mind. But as you said, just as long as I'm remembering this right, most of the songs weren't written yeah. before getting the grant. Mm-hmm. So what was that process like in terms of like having this idea or I guess what the question is, is like, how did the idea change from like inception to actually doing it or, or did Mm. you kind of like stay the course? Hmm. I think it was, I think I stayed the course for the most part. I mean, some songs aren't super explicitly about Vancouver, but more about like the experience of someone who maybe has grown up in a city or is living in a city. Like I feel like Roots isn't really about, Roots is more like trans Canada. Mm. Yeah, but mm. sorry yeah. to interrupt you there. Roots has a line that really got me and I just want to pull it up. Oh, how nice. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really poignant. For for any age, I know in the song, you're talking about someone who's 23. Mm-hmm. Um, totally arbitrary. I just picked a year that sounded like someone might be traveling to try and figure their lives out. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was and then, I'm like, did she, she write this when she was 23? No. Nope. <laughs> I wrote it when I was 25. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what, you know, this, I mean, the song is called Roots. And this is kind of, I guess, like the hook of the song mm-hmm. in, a, in a sense. Just so never looking to find yourself by putting down roots. I think that's, that line just is really poignant. Um, and something that I'm sure like so many people can relate to, to that feeling that you always have to like go outside of yourself or mm-hmm. outside of your life to kind of figure out who you are. Mm-hmm. But there is a lot of discovery in in staying put mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. And I do think it's like, I do think you learn a lot from traveling, but oh, I, of course. I think it's definitely 
I don't know, the gap year is so romanticized. It's like, oh, I'm going to go backpack around Europe for a year. And then when I come back, I'll know what I want to do. be a new yes. person. <laughs> and I, yeah. and like, I think there's so much learning to do in that process. And I was, but I also just wanted to be like, what if that wasn't the, like, that's not the only solution. And I feel like there's a lot of people who come back and they're like, I just took a year off and I had a lot of fun, but I still don't really know what I want to do, you know? Totally. Um, and it's like a really, I think, I mean, it's, it's, can be a very privileged thing to have the opportunity to go travel yeah. and like not work for a year to yeah. just like to say that hang you have out. to do that to know yourself truly, yeah yeah you know? totally yeah. totally totally so yeah well I'm glad that resonated and to have these or or to pursue these novel experiences mm-hmm. I think that is really useful and, and valuable and especially when you're able to do it in maybe more like everyday ways kind yeah. of going back to like you said with like whimsy. creating whimsy yeah. <laughs> but there That's is the yeah definitely Definitely that inherent privilege mm-hmm. in 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 seeking these adventures mm-hmm. or yeah. having the time like enough time off yeah. to do things like that. Are there well before I ask this question, I kind of I, I know that Karen had a kind of additional question to ask with the this intention of going into mm-hmm. this grant mm-hmm. in terms of like <laughs> or, do you want me to just yeah, ask? I want you to ask it. <laughs> <laughs> I, kind of I can just too. jump in at any yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, jump in, jump in. <laughs> um, so as Alex wanted to say, um, <laughs> I was just curious. I, I feel like we didn't really give you a chance to answer the last That's okay. Question I can, I'll do both. But two for one. <laughs> this kind of is in keeping, but just the idea of having, as you said at the beginning, like a contractual obligation mm-hmm. to the government of Canada mm-hmm. to put this piece out, this, this work, mm-hmm. and having that, you know, idea and then having to follow through with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you mentioned to us before we started recording that you kind of approach the songwriting process differently for every song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just curious what that what that changes about the process when you have sort mm-hmm. of, I guess, A, like a specific concept, mm-hmm. B, uh, an actual, you know, push mm-hmm. and sort of a, an obligation to, to complete the project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, if anything, I actually think it really gave a lot of, getting funding was like one of the most, is like maybe the most no, the most, one of the most validating experiences I've ever had. Imagine, yeah. Because before I got this grant, I was not like, I did not consider myself a working musician at all. Then suddenly it was, it's been very interesting to sort of come into being a musician because I've all, I mean, I've always been a musician and it, even in doing the work I do now and like the creative work I do now, I'm sort of like, well, obviously you wanted to, like, I always just had this feeling I didn't want to be a musician like I loved mm. being a mu- like playing music as a hobby but like I wasn't willing to put in the time enough to like become good enough to to tour or something or like to be a be a paid musician I just like liked it well enough but had other interests and and it's just so funny to, I mean I see why I thought that way but in hindsight it's really funny to me that somehow I talked myself out of it mm. and really actually the the pandemic helped me realize how much I liked playing music because suddenly I didn't have a job and I was being paid by Serb and I was making music every day and so content like so happy and I was kind of like oh I wonder if it's like partially there's a lot of 
other things that get in the way and I just like don't prioritize making music, but actually it is very fulfilling to me to do it all the time. But also getting this grant was very validating because suddenly I was like, oh my God, the like the government, whatever, whoever, I mean government, but just people <laughs> were like, yeah, you have a good idea and we are going to give you like a lot of money to mm-hmm. like do this idea. And so it really just made me feel like I had a lot of, like suddenly I've had a lot of validation. It felt very legitimate what I was trying to do. And it gave me some structure, really. It was like, okay, this is a personal project. There's flexibility, but there's also some constraints, which means that you will do it. And you have someone holding you accountable. Absolutely. That's another huge part of being able to see a project to completion is that accountability. Totally. Exactly. So that was huge. And I'm sort of forgetting what your what the question I was. I guess oh, well that was kind of it I <laughs> okay. guess it's just you know what what kind of impact does that have it, in ter- you know when, on the creative process on the creative mm-hmm. process cuz when like I was thinking of my band us like trying to get an EP out there's so many like hurdles like just so financial many, hurdles right so many. that kind of get in the way of being able to just be like this is what we're doing mm-hmm. and you're kind of just like putting one foot in front of the other a lot of the time mm-hmm coming up with songs organically and then being like, oh, okay, now there's enough here for mm-hmm. maybe doing some recording. Let me do a bunch of gigs and like raise a bunch of funds yeah. so that we can start that process. And yeah, I just imagine it's got it's got to be such a, I imagine it's a really nice, as you said, like it's a, mm-hmm. it was a really nice experience to have that validation and have the assurance, like I guess yeah. that like, yes, this is, you know, something you should be doing. And then also that you had to, you were being held accountable to it. Totally. And I think too, like something I I did do one like songwriting course in university and something that I learned during that course, which I now really like try to remember all the time is that like creativity isn't just like some God, like idea being sent to you from the universe. Right. It's not like beyond you. Yeah, Yeah. no. Or it's like there's, (laughs) and sometimes that does happen, right? Like sometimes there, like Roots was actually kind of, well, no, Roots was an iterative process, but the day it really came together, I was like, whoa, I feel like this idea just came to me Mm. a little bit. But what that class shifted for me was like, a song isn't plus that class plus this like idea of the editor I was like oh a song isn't like a one hour and done thing it's like a iterative it's almost like an essay it's like an iterative process you can come back to it and rework it over and over again and so I think how does this link back to what I was saying I think (laughs) having creative parameters of my project like being like I'm writing songs about this it's like I never had writer's block because I was just like what I wasn't one I wasn't waiting for some idea to come to me I had like sort of this world I was trying to create or like parameters that I was trying to write songs within and then so if I was like oh I would like to write a song or like work on something today I could say okay like what's what's an idea I haven't yet explored that relates to my idea you know I had sort of like prompts almost for myself and that was really helpful also to just have like rather than just picking, you know, writing a bunch of songs that kind of could be from anything. I was like, okay, I have, there's like a thing I'm trying to contribute to. And that was really generative. You kind of had like a thesis. A thesis. Exactly. And I was like writing little pair, little like sections of my thesis. Yeah. Supporting arguments. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So uh, again, you mentioned this, I can't remember if this was on air or off now, but (laughs) about having a different process for each song. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, 
Another thing I learned in this songwriting course that I took was that you can start songs in all sorts of different ways, which sounds like so obvious, but I always... It's not though, to, yeah. especially to people who are like, I have a little seven-year-old student who yeah. wants to start writing and we were talking about writing and I feel like I, I have my own specific process mm-hmm. and it kind of goes the same way mm-hmm. often. So I'm so curious to hear about these different ways because it's not always obvious. Yeah. Well, I think my process, especially for this record, but I think this has been my process for a long time, is that I start with the words. And often I start with words and melody at the same time. So, so, and I've really tried to break away from that because I think what happens when you start with words and melody, I, I find I can get stuck in Either I write a song and I'm like, oh, that's actually just this other song. And my brain was like, <laughs> took the took the exact tune of this song that exists in popular culture and was like, here's my own story related to that song. Because right. it's like, because I'm going into defaults more, I guess is what I'm saying. Or like right, yeah. for things that are familiar. Yeah. And so I've tried to more so actually write lyrics first without having a particular tune in mind or a melody in mind. And I think I did that and I really leaned on that a lot in this on this project because it was so story driven. And so I really want was like, what story do I want to tell t- with this song? What's this concept I'm trying to explore? But I also was working with a band for the first time. Mm. And in the early days, it was just me and Sydney Tuff and Jameson Co. because I just stole most of Earth Tones. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I'm a little offended I, that you have I my actually, entire band I, I, on now. <laughs> I know. I was like, I should have had Karen on for backing vocals or something. Or like, I felt, I, it's funny, at the end, after we finished recording, I was like, oh, dang it. I probably, I should have just been like featuring Earth Tones and brought <laughs> yeah. Karen in too. <laughs> Next record, okay. you're there. It's okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'll we'll take we'll it. Do it. I'll take it. Also, if you want to co-write anytime, let me know. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to get more into co-writing. But that's cool. Yeah. So then I had also like other kinds of musicians from different musical backgrounds who played different instruments. Like one of the songs, it's it's actually really interesting. So Succession, the song you were referencing that sort of talks about my family talking about the city and all these different time periods. That song was originally quite different and was going to be I was I knew I wanted a title track the whole time because I was like concrete country what a cool title I would like a title track Mm -hmm. so that succession the words of succession with the chord progression of the chorus from are we blue was kind of what concrete country was becoming and I was like and it was Sydney wrote that chord progression which is very cool I would have not come up with it on my own so thanks Sydney but then I was kind of I ended up pulling those things apart and then writing a whole different concrete country thing and like creating succession and creating Are We Blue as these two different songs Mm. with different themes about them. And so that was interesting because Are We Blue, I, I started with a chord progression that was very unique to me. And I was like, oh, I don't know how to sing. Like, what is the melody for this chord progression that I really like? But like, where does my voice go? And then what rhythmically fits with it? You know, so that was a fun puzzle because I was exploring songwriting with chords first, mm-hmm. which I usually don't do. It's very different when you go that route. Yeah, for sure. it is very different. It's so um, interesting because that's always how I write. And like, I, that I a lot of people have said have that to, to me too. Chord progression. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think part of that for me is because I think I'm a songwriter first, like like lyrically. I think that's where my strength is, and I kind of know also because I'm a singer, like the parameters of my voice. 
And so then I like figure out how I want to sing something. And I'm like, oh, what chords are those? What to support it. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm, I'm taking guitar lessons and working on it, but I'm like not, I'm a pretty good guitar player, but I'm not like a jazz trained guitar player. So also if I started with chords, I'm more limited, I think. Right. In my, whereas I can like, now I can be like, Hey, Maddie Elkins, can you <laughs> play something awesome under this melody for me? You know, right. and, totally. like it's cool to like your own playing with a band has just been so amazing for my songwriting too. Cause suddenly like my abilities are multiplied by five across like mm-hmm. different instruments. Yeah. Um, cause I'm working with different people who can add so much more than I could just do alone. Yeah. Yeah. Collaborative songwriting has been really helpful for mm-hmm. me too. I feel the same way. I'm not chord progressions aren't my strong suit mm-hmm. by any means, but yeah, with, with earth tones all the time, I'll just take like chords that email has come up with, you mm-hmm. know, our guitar player and it, and it leads to different melodies and, Mm-hmm. ideas than I would have if I was just trying to do that you know on my own it's just so nice having another voice or input to jump like that's a jumping mm-hmm. off point right because mm-hmm. yeah it just opens you up to you know speaking of like living your life with whimsy it's kind of a similar <laughs> idea like yeah. you know you're just kind of opening yourself up to those new experiences rather mm-hmm. than just coming from what you what you know which can be limiting mm-hmm. So I know that this has kind of flown by, but we do have to start wrapping up the conversation. But before we close with our recommendations, I just wanted to ask you about kind of the grant writing process. And if you have anything that you would have either that you can kind of offer as advice to Mm -hmm. people who are going through that process or even something that you learned that you didn't know before Mm -hmm. going into it. Any, Any wisdom you can impart Mm-hmm. On on us who maybe still haven't haven't had that. <laughs> on us who are trying, right? I was gonna say yeah. shout out to everyone currently <laughs> furiously writing to get their submission in. Yeah, because I've definitely written. I, I've I've applied for grants and I I haven't been successful at them. Mm-hmm. And it can be it can be hard to know, you know, like how to yeah. how to pitch yourself, how to pitch your project. And it sounds like you had a really clear idea and mm-hmm. like vision which mm-hmm. I think helps immensely yes um but yes. just to keep it I'm now I'm getting specific I <laughs> wanted to keep it a little more broad yeah I think I was very fortunate to work for uh Still Moon Arts Society which is a nonprofit based in East Vancouver and during that time got a lot of experience writing grants for the organization oh, cool. so it was really okay. I feel very lucky to have been like gotten that professional development in that workplace with like oversight from people who knew grants really well mm-hmm. but Broadly, I would say like the most annoying, the most annoying thing about writing a grant is that like everybody kind of wants something different and like cares about different things that they're asking for. And sometimes they don't actually very clearly articulate what they want to see in your application in like the guidelines. (laughs) Sometimes they do. And sometimes I think organizations are, some are better than others and some are changing things to be better. But as the applicant, I think the thing that has helped me most is like, contacting like there's usually grant especially at like Canada Council there's like granting officers whose job it is to like respond to email questions about the application and I think genuinely just trying to reach out to those people and get on the phone with one of them to like ask them questions that you Mm. have about the application a lot of people don't think you can do that some places won't let you call and they'll say it on their website but if you can do that I would also say that like talking to people who have been find people who have been successful and and talk to them because you just don't know sometimes 
You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And it's just like so helpful. Like for so I applied to Canada, the Canada Council that I received for this project. And what was the grant that you received? I applied to the Explore and Create um, Concept to Realization program. And what I didn't know, for example, I didn't get it the first time, but I reapplied. And with the same project or with the same project, I just mostly what I changed was my budget actually was was what I shifted. Everything else pretty much stayed the same. But what I learned from someone I know who has um, been on juries for Canada Council is that you should or I came into it um, with the perspective of like applying to Factor Canada, Mm -hmm. which is really different, like music industry versus arts organizations and Factor. It's like you always want to ask for more than you need. Right. Because they will always give you less than what you ask for. Yeah. Which is such an annoying way for granting to work. Canada Council, yeah. they want you to absolutely ask for what you want and they will give it to you. And so I approached my budget for the Canada Council one at first thinking, oh gosh, okay, well, I should ask for the maximum because I don't know how much they're going to give me. And then when I later was talking to this person, she said, oh, no, no, no. Like ask for what you want clearly lay out why you're asking for that amount and as long as they see it and they're like that all makes sense they will give you the money so i think that shift is what enabled me to get it the second time i applied and it just strengthens your your other points of, yeah. of talk to someone in the organization talk to someone, talk yeah. to someone who's been successful because yeah. you don't it's it's strange to to it's strange to expect to know that going into it right. as just mm-hmm. an applicant of like yeah. okay this is how this one works and this is how this right. one works and actually they're quite different yeah because also yeah. like factor is not going to advertise like ask for more than you need right yeah. like because we're not yeah. going to give it to you yeah, yeah. yeah. They, yeah. don't come after me factor yeah <laughs> please for example yeah. like not yeah, yeah. just like <laughs> yeah. such as or not this yeah. wait no allegedly i don't know i'm yeah. trying to think allegedly. of the like yeah. allegedly. the legal yeah. way of saying yeah, yeah. right 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 yeah. allegedly this is what i've heard yeah. which is true that's like what <laughs> that I've is heard. Yeah. yeah um i think though yeah. also sorry that that point also highlights the fact that if you've applied for grants and you haven't received them it shouldn't always be taken like to be discouraged right mm-hmm. because just something as you know menial as a budget right like yeah. it's you know not you didn't change your concept obviously like no. the concept was strong yeah. it was good right it's not always about that when it comes to mm-hmm. who is getting selected so well and that's actually the useful thing about Canada Council grants is they do tell you like my ac- application was what they call recommended, which means I got enough points to be considered for funding. I just wasn't ranked high enough above all those applicants. Like they ran out of money before they got to me mm-hmm. in the hierarchy of like mm-hmm. best, second, third, you know? Oh, and okay. so the nice thing was I knew that my application was good enough to have received funding. It just didn't fall high enough in the pile of all the ones that were good enough. So then that was nice because I was like, okay, I don't necessarily have to change everything. There's probably just things I could tweak that would make my application better in the future. So that's nice. Right. Yeah. So continuing on with our recommendations, (laughs) (laughs) have you got a creative recommendation that you can give to our listeners? Yes. Oh my God. There's so many possible things you could say. Well, you can Um, give a couple. Okay. Okay. Well, I want to shout out again, the Bluegrass Tuesdays at the Heatley. They're just so fun. You know, go Go listen to some for our local listeners. Local listeners. I think I just want to reiterate that like part of the creative process is like doing these can be doing these sort of like romantic things in life that allow you to take time, disrupt the regular flow of your day and like experience something. 
and that creativity doesn't just come out of thin air. It comes from like intentional, giving intentional space to like let your brain be creative and then providing the the sort of moment where you can like have that outlet, you know, and taking mm-hmm. time to just like, when I was saying I started writing a song yesterday or two days ago, it's because I was just sitting alone in the living room and I had a moment of pause and being able to be like, okay, I have a moment where I can sit down and write about this or, or sing about this. So I would say recommendation is to do something that like disrupts the regular flow of your day and take time for yourself and then give space to create something, whether whatever that is. Nice. Nice. I love that. That's, I mean, that's very in keeping with uh, a big, uh, like a running theme in this, in this conversation oh, of just that, <laughs> that whimsy and mm-hmm. yeah, just creating moments for mm-hmm. yourself mm-hmm. because yeah, they don't just fall in your lap, right? And yeah, it's easy to, to bulldoze through your day mm-hmm. <laughs> unless yes. you're actively thinking about creating that space for yourself, whether it's to have a an experience of some kind or even just having that open space to allow creativity and like processing to come through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so easy to not to not make that space. I've got one creative recommendation as well. So in line with <laughs> dance and me kind of feeling inspired by working with dancers, I decided to start doing dance workouts again. This is something that I did, I think more nice. so in the, like in the lockdowns. Yeah. There's a YouTuber called Mad Fit, also named Madeline. Yes. Funny enough. <laughs> Shout out to Madeline. Yes. <laughs> Madeline's everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. And she she does like a bunch of different types of workout videos, but I specifically like her dance workout videos. And so I started doing that again this week. And they're really challenging for me, not necessarily the working out part, although that is great. Like it's an, a really great way to like get your heart rate up and like start sweating. But it really reminds me how uncoordinated I am (laughs) just like I need to work on this and it's just really fun again kind of in line with the whimsy you know a lot of it's like this pop music that I don't necessarily listen to on my own but it's so fun and energizing and yeah it's just kind of silly it's like it's it's funny to be bad at dancing (laughs) but to still do it it's pretty it's pretty fun yeah very in line with uh today's themes nice that's awesome. Okay, I love both those. I'm gonna take both of those to heart and and yeah. run with those because those those are both great recommendations. Thank yeah, you. very attainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, nice. awesome. Well, thank you, Maddie. Thank you, Madeline. Yeah. <laughs> Dang it! No. no. <laughs> yeah. I it's because we feel so connected now. Oh. You just want to call me Maddie. I know. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Thank you. No, it's, I take it as a compliment. Okay. 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 Well, then we won't redo that. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Madeline, uh, for, for being here. Yeah, and for just kind of reminding us of that importance of like bringing magical moments into your life and that little little bit of romance and, and whimsy. Yeah, I think oh. that's so good to think about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was so nice. Yeah, oh, yeah I'm, glad. I'm glad. All right, well, this has been Vicarious. I'm Alex. I'm Karen. I'm Madeline. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.